Hello, everybody. Welcome to tonight's edition of From the Boardroom to the Locker Room. And uh, last week I was talking about paddle, and I did mention that it had nothing to do with the oars in a kayak. But tonight we are talking about a paddler, South Africa's team captain at the 92 Barcelona Olympics, K4 1,000-meter event semifinals, 12-time world surf ski champion, Last one he won at the age of 49, and amongst other things, a cancer survivor. I'm so delighted to welcome a long-time associate and friend, Oscar Chulupski. Welcome to the show, long time no speak. Yeah, Louis, it's been a while, you know, so thank you very much for the introduction, and I'm very glad to be on your on your show. Yeah, last time you weren't a pensioner, uh, this time you are. I'm a pensioner. I mean, as I say, on the 1st of March, I turned 61. And as I say to most people, you've got to live your life. And in those 61 years, I've done more than most people do in three lifetimes. And that's what you've all got to strive for. Absolutely. And that's what you're most uh, well known for, besides, obviously, the incredible achievements in your canoe, kayak, surf ski, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But last time we spoke, we spoke about the book, No Retreat, No Surrender. How are you? I mean, health-wise, how are things going since last we spoke? Well, since last we spoke, I was, remember, I started on 25th of November 2019. I was at stage four then. And then yeah. we went out of left field uh, this year. About two months ago, they put me back on stage four. And, and the doctor said, listen, bring your family. And I got the, the priest came in. And I said, listen, boys, I think you're very <laughs> premature. Yeah. And I was in hospital for three weeks. I fasted for 21 days, and I eventually made the cancer go away to an extent that that uh, I'm strong again. I mean, a strongish again. Uh, my multiple myeloma count, my, my 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 sort of cancer marker was at 1,470, and today and tomorrow I go for six hour session. But today it's about 111, so it's come down from 1,470 to 111, which means that I'm not perfect yet i'm probably at 70 percent, but i'm training i'm doing swimming paddling anything you can do playing golf everything i can try and keep doing to keep this cancer at bay as you know uh louis there's no cure for this one and, and, and this cancer multiple myeloma or bone marrow cancer so i've got to just keep on sort of keeping it at bay so they so i live long enough till they found a cure <laughs> yeah one of the things that's always impressed me about you is that when you find out about something you go to the extreme to know everything about it. Just explain to the layman what exactly the form of cancer that you have. So I've got bone marrow cancer. So in my bone marrow, uh, that's the, the, the bone marrow and, and the blood inside your, your, your bones is what actually makes the red blood cells. And about two months ago when I went to see my doctor, he says he didn't understand how I was even standing, never mind walking. And then I was supposed to fly the next day to go to Australia and he says the only place you're going to is the hospital, and that's what happens. So um, it's it's a it's normally makes your bones very brittle and you break bones very easy. Um, um, for me, it, that hasn't happened, but I've, I have go through tough times where even now, when I did a race on Sunday, I raced in Feltriff at the end of the Berg River Marathon, and at, at like ten kilometers an hour, my heart rate's going through the roof because my red blood cells are at about seventy percent, so they're not carrying enough oxygen around, so my heart is through the roof. So every time I have a session, as I have a session, there's no cure. So you're permanently on chemo. I've been on chemo now for four years. And it doesn't affect me, so I don't feel sorry for me. There's people that are doing it much tougher than me. Um, and the reason why it doesn't affect me is because I always fast before I have my chemo. So 
it, I don't know, whatever I've done, it's, it, it doesn't want to uh, give me any hardship. But it, I can see it in my performance when I paddle and swim and run and anything. It's my heart rate is elevated. But as I say, uh, you normally live with uh, this cancer, bone marrow cancer, three years, and now it's gone to five years. And I, the, every year I can just prolong it so I can maybe get 10 years out of it. So uh, that's what I'm trying to do. How do you answer the the scientists? What well, obviously you've answered them by the fact that you're still alive. But I mean, how do you answer them by saying that you're wrong and I'm right? Yeah, exactly. So what happens? And you've got to. This is the, the old story: is that we're all getting older. But the one thing we all also getting is wiser. And some people don't get wiser, and they don't educate themselves. So I educate. So I do modern medicine. I do alternative medicine and I do my own reading and research so that I say okay so that's why like fasting I went to see a guy in uh, Boston Massachusetts he was a Boston College professor of biology there and he said no 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 your cancer is also metabolic so which means that it lives off food so if you starve it at food it will definitely help killing the cancer I mean it doesn't kill it completely but it limited it makes a tough job and, and I saw it when I did this 21 day fast so it's just water and coffee and and bone broth fast is that I improved much faster than the doctors ever expected because they were writing me off because none of the cancer things were working until until the starvation of the of the cancer kicked in and then suddenly I was ready to leave the hospital after three weeks. You talk about this 21 day fast that you had and I am so far from being up to date <laughs> with the way medicine works but one of the things I do know is because I've actually been trying to lose weight recently and does it not mess up with your ketosis? No, it actually, in ketosis, once you're in ketosis, which can take between 8 and 12 hours, you stay in ketosis. It doesn't do anything. It just You just stay in ketosis. And, and, and being in ketosis basically means you're living off your body. So it doesn't, do, it doesn't uh, kick you out ever. You'll never, ever get kicked out. So, I mean, if you have a binge and you have too many drinks, if you just fast for the next day, 24 hours, you're back in ketosis, you're back in, in all good and then eat properly. So, yeah, no, fasting is the best. In fact, you should actually do seven-day fasts twice a year. That, that's what they recommend because it actually kills cancer cells. I mean, it didn't work for me. The, the cancer still came, but it does definitely kill cancer cells and also helps with uh, killing visceral fat. Visceral fat is the fat around your organs, and a lot of people have problems with blood clots and, and, and strokes and things like that. And, and fasting is one of the best way you know the difference between fasting and dieting dieting's 99% it doesn't work and fasting works 100% of the time so that's the difference so in other words when we see people going on survivor i mean i'm making a light of this but they go on survivor and they have to scrap around for a little cockroach here and there and a bit of rice that they might get from a challenge that's actually we shouldn't really feel sorry for them because they're doing their body really good Yes, but the biggest problem is most of those guys are not in ketosis, which means that they need food. So if you're not in ketosis, you need food. Otherwise, you get lightheaded, headaches, and all that kind of stuff. So once you've changed over, so you either live on carbohydrates, which is food that you you, you uh, digest, or you live in ketosis, meaning you're living on your on your body. So when you put food in, it doesn't go straight away into into your your sort of your engine. It goes into your body, and then your body gives us the engine so that's the biggest problem with people so so many people aren't in ketosis and that's when they get light-headed and, and they feel bad and all that and they say oh that and that's why they struggle to get into to do fasting because all those things happen because they 
they actually burning carbs and not burning ketones. Yeah. So when you take somebody like Hashim Amla, for example, who we know had that magnificent triple hundred while fasting during Ramadan, um, it's an advantage or or not? I hate to tell you, it's an advantage. I mean, and again, our race nowadays, and, and, and again, to win at 49, you have to be a little bit cleverer than the next oak because uh, I can't even do one pull-up. The guy came second in the, that 2012 uh, Monaco World Championship was a gold medalist, and he could do a 1,000 pull-ups. I can't do one. So you have to be a little bit clever. So what happens is that when I race, I don't eat or drink anything for the three hours, 23 minutes that I compete because I don't want any part of my body to be used to digest the food or the water I intake. I want all every last bit of strength I've got to help me cross the finishing line first. And that's, that's the difference. You know, you have to, it's I only won by 10 seconds over three hours, 23 minutes. And it's because these small little things that I did, you know, and you have to do when you're over the hill like me. <laughs> but I mean, I guess you're not recommending somebody run the two oceans or the comrades without drinking a sip of water, are you? No, 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 no. Understand this is that if you're thirsty, you drink. But so many people just drink, drink, drink. I mean, look at that guy who broke the the, the two-hour marathon mark. He hardly drank any water because you don't need it. If you're not thirsty, you don't drink. And I mean, Tim Noakes' great book called Waterlog says, no, no, when you're thirsty, your body will tell you you'll get a dry mouth and, and have some water. But you don't just drink water and water because it actually flushes out your whole system and it's not good for you. I mean, everybody says it's good for you. Just drink lots of water and you... The only thing that it helps is that you won't eat if you drink lots of water, but it, it also yeah. rinses your whole system out, you know, so that's a fact. And then all of these supplements that are around at the moment, you walk into a Diskim or a Clicks or whatever, and you just see rows and rows and rows of, I'm going to drink this shake and lose weight, and I'm going to take this tablet and have better performance with my wife, and I'm going to this. What about all of that kind of stuff? Because you've obviously proved that that stuff is not necessarily what you need to be successful at almost 61 years of age. Yes, yeah, so what happens is is that if you are in, if you're not in ketosis, so understand yeah. that you need it because that's what you're living on. That's what you your body's running on. If you, as soon as you're in the state of ketosis, you don't need a runner. The only thing you, that I have is I'll eat the night before and I won't eat anything in the morning, anything, even if I'm doing four or five hours, it doesn't worry me one bit. And I'll just have a bit of water. When I race, I just drink water because I don't want my body to use up energy. So I just have a little bit of water. Say if I'm doing a four or five hour, I might have a little bit of water. Not much. I can tell you that. No more than 50 mils or 100 mils over a four hour race. So understand that. So all those energy drinks are for the people that aren't in ketosis. And again, that's the big thing. Once you're in ketosis, things change completely. I, obviously, I was sponsored by all those people. and I had that, you know, and, and lots of you hear people bonking. Yeah. What happens when you bonk is that you deplete all those uh, energy that you've eaten and then you bonk where you will never, ever get depleted when you even a, a marathon a, a runner won't even get depleted that's got 12 percent body fat it'll take him a, a week to get depleted if he didn't eat you know so that's the difference that's the big difference so i know this is a could sound like a really weird question because we talk about genetics and we talk about um some people are just created differently now obviously you are in that category but you're also battling cancer. So your genetics might not necessarily be so fantastic, but by virtue of the performances, let alone winning a race at the age of 49 years old, long before that, you were always that much better than your competitors. Why do you think that is? 
I think the most important part of that is the positive mindset because I think lots of people were actually better competitors than me, better, not competitors, better athletes than me. Let's put it that way. And I beat them just because of the strength of my mind. Having said that, everybody asked me now, how did you get this such a positive mindset? How do you get it? And, and it's still, it still, it astounds me. I've got two children, Luke and Hannah. Luke is so negative, I don't even know how to get him to be positive like me, and our daughter is positive. So there it shows you, they lived in this, under the same roof, and I can't get them. But I think the most important thing is to surround yourself with positive people and surround yourself with, with reading material that is positive. And I think you can actually make yourself positive. You, I mean, as I say, I am fairly positive. As you know, Louis, from the from age 15, I was competing and I wanted to win all the time and nothing's changed. I had to do it, whether it's cancer or whether it's racing, you know, so I carry on. I mean, I raced at age 58 in Brazil. There's about 300 paddlers. There's a four-day race over 120 kilometers. And I eventually won at 58 and the guy came second was 28. So it shows you. And I just didn't want to lose. <laughs> it's just not fair, though. <laughs> for the 28-year-old. I mean, come on. Now, I saw a photo the other day, Oscar. I mean, how how recent is it that you were on the golf course with Ernie L, somebody who was also that was, doesn't know how to lose? Yes, that, that was two weeks ago. Yeah, that was two weeks ago. So, uh, And I was Tell very... Yeah, so so that was... Uh, Ernie and I are good friends from 40 years ago, 30 years ago. And interesting that when I met him and, and through sport and everything, and he said, oh, Oscar, give me some advice. How do I beat Tiger Woods? I said, listen, and I told Diesel and Ernie, I'll never forget this. I said, listen, Ernie, you've got two arms and two legs, and I think you're bigger than him. You've got a better swing than him. All you have to do is get in the gym, do push-ups, sit-ups. In those days, 30 years ago, he said, they said, what? Are you crazy? I'm not going to do that. In fact, Diesel literally threw me out the house. This is not how you do golf. And, and again, when I spoke to him now, 30 years later, I said, can you remember those days where I said, listen, you were much better than Tiger Woods if you just did all those. And Tiger revolutionized golf by getting stronger and fitter. And, and now all golfers are like Tiger Woods. So it just shows you what you can do. And then we, Ernie and I played lots of games. I, in fact, we were we were one all. I, I beat him in uh, fan court 30 years ago. Then he beat me at Wentworth or Sunningdale, actually. And and then we played together this time against a famous rugby player, Lance Sherrill, who plays off a plus three, and um, our yeah. friend Rich Barrow. So it was a great game, and, and we won. And again, the whole story is uh, the cream rises to the top. And I hadn't played very much, so it was fun playing with him. And again, it was so effortless the way he plays golf. And, you know, he's one of those guys, again, he naturally. But again, he does practice a lot now, a lot. And he does lots of uh, gym nowadays, <laughs> which... I mean, somebody else to, who you've obviously had association with and, and is another one of South Africa's greatest sporting ambassadors who believes that fitness is everything is, what's he now, 80-something, Gary Player? Yes, I mean, he's broken his age 3,000 times or 4,000 times, and it shows you. And he's also got that very positive attitude, and I think that's what you need in life. I mean, and, and this is not only for golf, it's business, it's 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 family, and family is very important uh, in life and 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 i've been with my wife now 40 coming up for 41 years so that's not bad and and i think and and then fighting cancer and fighting fighting adversity you have to have that positive mindset you have to be fit and healthy to fight it otherwise you've got no chance a lot of people that i've known that aren't as fit and healthy i've, I've lost them to my cancer already you know so yeah. i think you just got to have that different kind of mindset you've got to be very positive and i think you've got to learn to be positive no matter what, you've got to be positive.
Let's go back to your wife, if we may. And I mean, I don't want to get into anything <laughs> exceptionally personal with her, but I understand you have the cancer, but it's remarkable for somebody to be able to stand by somebody like you and live through what she's had to live through. I mean, medals won't say thank you for what she's had to go through and stuck by you through all of this. You know, they say, they say in death, the person that dies is the lucky one because they don't live with the pain anymore. I mean, she must have had some serious moments. No, there she did. I mean, and it's interesting the difference way that, like, when I was given the first diagnosis, now you got six months, she really was super upset where I wasn't that upset because I just said, listen, I'd lived my life. I've done more than most people and I've done enough, you know, so, and she's been through hell. In fact, in that 21 day fast, she slept in my hospital room on a chair for 21 days. So, and, and that's the sacrifices the people that are around you have to make. I mean, there's nothing I could do. I mean, I, she helped me get out of the bed to go to the toilet and all this kind of thing. And every time I yeah. murmured, she was there, you know, and, and that's the sacrifices. They make lots of sacrifices and everybody around there. And that's what you need. You need support like that. If you haven't got support like that, you're also going to go down, down fast, you know, and, and that's very important. And believe in me, it is one of the hardest thing being with a cancer sufferer. It's, I think it's harder than being the cancer sufferer itself, as you yeah. said. Oh, and, and I, again, She's been around for a long time, and, and 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 she always says, you know, I never think that he's got cancer because he's so positive. You don't believe he's got cancer, even though he's on his deathbed. He just doesn't feel and doesn't act like a sufferer, you know. And somebody said he's like a park town prawn. He's never going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for our listeners in the world, a park town prawn just doesn't ever seem to die. Okay, let's turn our attention, if we may, to an event that you have had a indifferent history with, the Doozy Canoe Marathon. Um, it's coming up again. Has it lost a little bit of its glamour in the years gone by after COVID, or do you think it's yeah, still it has, it has. I mean, I mean... Remember in the heyday, I mean, and, and, and again, it just shows if you think differently and talk differently and, and, and think out the box, what we did with Ray DeFries in those days is we brought in celebrities. And the first guy I took down was Nas Water, who was a very much a white sort of athlete. And the next one is Clive Barker, who was a white athlete that the, that the locals loved. And you won't believe how many people sitting in their chairs were watching the doozy and saying, if Clive Barker and Nas Water can do it, I can do it. And then I took down celebrities like Baby Jake Matlatla. Dr. Kamaga, Peggy Sukumala, Sibu Sisu Bilani. And you won't believe we went from like four or 500 entrants to two and a half thousand at its peak. And that's what you can do by just thinking out the box. Because, and what we've done is we've really grown the community of paddlers, previously disadvantaged paddlers in the community, so much so that most of the entries in the doozy are black paddlers. And they actually win. And it shows you that you can do transformation if, if there's somebody with a cause and doing it properly. Uh, Martin Dre's done a fantastic job. So most of the entrants now are, are previously disadvantaged. And understand, this is paddling. This is If you can't swim, you can't do it. And you have to have a boat that costs uh, 10,000 rand, a paddle that costs 2,000 rand. And these people have, have really changed the sport so that it's very, very much integrated into the system in the in Ganey Valley. So they've cha- they may had to make a few changes because the biggest problem we had with the doozy is the the water, the, the the water is not up to standard because you remember it used to go through sewage farms. So now they start at a place called Bishopstow Hall, which hopefully makes it a little bit less 
polluted, you know, and that, that is the biggest problem from the doozy. And, and it has lost its, I mean, last year, I think they only had 300 entries from the, from the heyday of like two and a half thousand. It's but very sad. Yeah. What's very sad about the doozy and about our country in general is we're not looking after our ecology and we're not looking after our resources. And that's really sad. And I guess from a guy like yourself, um, who's pretty much spent your entire life, <laughs> almost probably more hours off the land than on the land, if you know what I mean. Um, exactly. That must be really sad. That's no, very sad. I mean, and even I mean, look where my home province, Natal. I mean, you can't go and swim, and I just love going body surfing. Thing, you can't actually swim in Natal. I mean, they won't let you. They won't actually let you. And the same thing's even happening in Cape Town. I mean, we are messing up our environment like we can't believe and it, and it's like a simple thing you want to go and swim in the sea they say no no the, the, the effluence is just going in there raw and the same thing in Durban and and and, and it's happening everywhere which is a, such a pity because I mean tourism is what's something that can get us out of out of the trouble in in South Africa and I think we need to look after our environment and we just don't seem to be doing it you know and again the only way to do that is to invest and keep everything up to date. Keep your your sewage farms working, and keep the the water out of the sea and 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 out of the rivers. You know, so that that everybody can enjoy it, and and a lot more people can enjoy it. You know, and 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 it is a big pity, and it's, that's something that they've really got to address faster, sooner than possible. So you uh, have uh, twenty twenty four ahead of you. Um, you continue your fight against cancer. What can we expect from you in terms of sporting competitiveness this year again i always want to uh race and and and, and i did a race today and i'm ge- i'm getting there i'm just slowly building up i mean it's really tough when your heart rate's so high because number one I, i'm i'm sort of keeping cancer at bay but i don't want to die of a heart attack and and let me tell you every time i'm in the boat and there's a big race there i want to actually be in the front and i just can't i'm not allowed to do be in the front i, I believe you me my mind would take me to the front but my but Brains say, hey, listen, you can't go to 180 heart rate at 61 and then suddenly keel over. So I'm being very conservative. I mean, well, I'll do the Fish River Marathon again, which is they've really looked after that race. And it's and it's growing again, you know, through COVID, it, everything went backwards. But now it's growing again. And that's that's one of my goals. I did it with uh, Herman, my brother, and a guy called Andy Leith from the Bud Group. So that's going to be fun. I always do that. And then maybe I'll go to Moloka. I'll see how strong I am. I might go to Moloka. I'll definitely go to Australia. So I'm going to still race. Uh, and try and win my age group. So, and and in doing that, uh, keep sort of keep the cancer base. So, this treatment should last. I'm hoping it lasts two years, and then I'll start another treatment. So, this year again, I want to just be fit and healthy, and 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 do as many races as possible. I think I'm going to race this weekend, and it's a race from Oceana to Clifton Beach and back. You know, 16 kilometers. So, again, I won't be that competitive, but I'm going to be there and 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 try my best to do as best as I can, keeping my heart rate and, at bay. And, and it's important to have this kind of equipment on you so that you know you, you can't... Because if I didn't have a heart rate monitor, believe me, I would have been dead long ago because sometimes my heart went straight through the roof and I knew it, you know, because yeah. I had the modern technology. I mean, I had atrial fibrillation. I, and the reason why I, I, I got my heart started again is because I had a heart monitor and I was watching it. And I think that's a lesson for everybody to realize with modern technology you've got to use it and use it to save your life and that's what saved my life i can assure you so 
2024, we hope, is going to be an absolutely successful year for you, and we're going to continue chatting, as I'm sure we will, over the the year and beyond. Um, your words of motivation for guys out there who might be thinking to themselves, I'm not fit anymore, don't compete at the level that I used to, what would you tell them? I'd say, you know, end of the day, you've just got to start. And just important thing, remember this, if you write it down, 90% of your goals achieved. If you just write it down and write down there, listen, I want to do 10 push-ups by the end of the year. And then I want to do this by the end of the year. And I want to do that by the end of the year. And I want to walk. So perfect example, my goal, I can only walk six kilometers and I run like 200 meters in between. That's all I can do at the moment. So my goal is to run six kilometers like I used to. So you start slowly, just start slow, but you've got to start. And no matter how bad you feel, Try and do it every day or every second day. And I think that's the important thing. It doesn't have to be much. I mean, I'm only swimming 500 meters. I normally swim three or four kilometers. I'm only paddling 10 kilometers where I normally paddle 30, 40, 50 kilometers. So understand, even though I was at the top, the bottom line is start. Just start. Even if it's one push-up, even if it's one push-up on your knees, just start. And that's for anybody and then just keep getting to your goal by the end of the year that you want to be x weight and again weight is also important because if you're if you your bmi is is uh, at a good pace you're going to feel healthier and if you feel healthier life becomes better you know so that's what i suggest everybody does get your weight set your goals and try and achieve them and then read up about it and you can always message me and i'll give them help i mean i know i've done it so many years you know been competing when over 50 years I've been competing and I'm still trying to compete. <laughs> We've been talking to each other literally for 40 years, me on the yes. one side of the microphone and you on the other side. It's unbelievable. 100%. I mean, we're both still around. Um, anyway, last last question um, and more to give you an opportunity to promote No Retreat, No Surrender for those people who haven't had a look at it yet or had a chance to read it. Uh, it is still available, I guess, and how can people get it? Yes. Yeah, so you get an exclusive book. It's on it's on Audible and on on uh, hard copies. I mean, paperback. And the most important thing, and the reason why I wrote this book, is to help people not to blow smoke to say, oh, "Well, I was," but it's to help people overcome adversity. So much so that a portion of my royalties goes to campaigning for cancer an NGO, so that there's money there. Because let me tell you, my disease is very expensive. It probably costs four hundred thousand a month, and if you haven't got the money. You just die. So it's important that anybody that buys the book realizes that they're contributing to help fight. And, and as I say, the after every chapter, I've got life lessons because I've learned things in life, something, some good and some bad. But you can always learn learn by your mistakes, and that's what's in the book. And and as you know, it's it's easy reading. And it's done by a guy, ghostwriter Graham Spence, who I've known all my life as well. And that's why it's selling very well. And anybody with problems loves giving this book as as a gift. And as you just said, we learn every day. We learn every time we talk to you. Oscar Chilipski, it's always a pleasure. Thank you for joining us on From the Boardroom to the Locker Room this evening. Thanks, Louis. Really appreciate it. As usual, be nice to each other. Until next time, bye for now.